So tonight we're talking about uh, this idea that we are building up one another in the body of Christ. And uh, an interesting article was sent to me this week, and I thought it would be appropriate for us to read it together, because this idea of unity can often be lost when we start the music discussion, because it's a really touchy subject, and everyone gets hurt, and it's a mess. So um, this article is from the Babylon Bee. Is everyone, has, who's, who's familiar with what the Babylon Bee is? Does anyone not know? Okay, so the Babylon Bee is uh, a blog, but it's a satirical blog. It's a Christian satirical blog. And um, Mark Twain often really uh, plotted satire for being able to tell us truths that we don't like to hear in a kind of softer way, you know. And um, so this article is very satirical, uh, but it's talking about the difference between hymns and modern worship music. Um, and it's criticizing both sides of that coin. It's, it's not favoring one or the other. But I think that uh, what it says is really kind of poignant, and it does point out a lot of things that we might either assume or that we might think of the other party if we're in one or the other. And, uh, but I think it's a really good way for us to start this dialogue about these differences, because there are differences. And, and so let's take a moment and enjoy, have a laugh, don't get offended, please, um, by these things. So the, the article is entitled, uh, The Bee Explains Hymns Versus Modern Worship. This is how it goes. It says, Kicking off around the same time the Beatles sprang up on the international music scene, the worship wars were a bloody conflict, claiming millions of lives as traditional music proponents clashed with those supporting the use of modern music in the church. Anytime you sing a song in church today, you are standing on the shoulders of the musicians who gave their lives for your right to sing Oceans every Sunday. Honor their sacrifice. <laughs> Those of you who are unaware of the deadly worship wars of the 1950s, you can join us as we explain the intricate nuances of both sides of the conflict. So already we see, you know, this is not quite reality, all right? So, um, origins, let's talk about origins, hymns. When Jesus gave Christianity's first altar call just after the Sermon on the Mount, he had Judas, not Iscariot, play a few dozen choruses from Just As I Am on the organ. From that moment on, traditional music advocates have pushed for the continuation of this grand biblical tradition. Since the organ is the only instrument mentioned in the Old and New Testaments, it is considered a sacred tenant of faith and ought only to be used to play chosen hymns. (laughs) Modern worship. A kid named Chad at Calvary Chapel Youth Camp smuggled in his electric guitar one year and led the kids in an emotional chorus of Pearl Jam's Jeremy. The experience was so moving, it launched an entire movement of believers and churches that play modern, grunge-inspired worship songs instead of the biblically prescribed hymns. Thanks, Chad. (laughs) Move on to definitions. Hymns. A hymn is a song that's typically broken up into four or five verses, but no one ever sings the second verse. Hymns... (laughs) Hymns usually use lots of words that no one knows the meaning of anymore, like interposed and Ebenezer. What the heck's an Ebenezer, people? Why are we singing about Scrooges? <laughs> Above all, each hymn must fully articulate a point of doctrine as well as a systematic theology book might, without ever once pricking the singer's emotions since he doesn't know what the words mean anyway. Modern worship. Modern worship songs tend to be written by only qualified theologians. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, they're, written on, they're written by high schoolers scribbled down on the back of napkins at nightclubs when the inspiration strikes. 
CCLI rules also dictate that the modern worship song must contain one bridge repeated as many times as necessary to evoke the desired emotional response, <laughs> but may have no more than four words in the entire song. <laughs> it's a delicate balancing act. In practice, hymns. Lots of conservative churches still sing hymns, while the really spiritual sing psalms exclusively. Either way, you must dust off the old hymnal each week and start belting out those tunes off-key. Pretend like you can read the music and actually know the funny, what the funny little top hat music symbol means. Just make sure you never display any emotion. Please keep your hands and arms at your sides at all times, just like at Disney World. Modern worship. Many churches have embraced modern worship as a way to creatively express their love for the most holy God and break away from stale liturgy by singing the same five songs every Sunday. <laughs> songs are typically sung with passion, emotion, uh, tongues, clapping, dancing, jumping up and down, and epileptic seizures. <laughs> Famous musicians, hymns, a bunch of dead white guys, and also, and also uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. <laughs> Modern worship, Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, Hillsong, Evavescence, and Hoobastank. All right, biblical support, hymns. Okay, so the Bible doesn't come out and say we can only sing hymns, or can only sing songs written 250 years ago or more, but come on, it's the obvious interpretation. Besides, it's not like there's a whole book of the Bible filled with songs that repeat themselves, display a wide range of human emotions, and even include groovy Selah interludes. Nope. Modern worship. David danced naked before the Lord, and that's definitely a prescriptive passage. So go nuts. Woo! There's also nothing in the Bible about making sure your lyrics reflect theological realities. So write your songs about hurricanes, tornadoes, black holes, whatever. No need to ensure your metaphors make sense and call the listener to a deeper understanding of Almighty God. Praise the Lord. So, so we see on, on both sides there's some extremes taken in this article, but I think it does point out a lot of really good things. So I just have four wrap-up questions for this article. What are the, the biggest misconceptions that you guys have seen here? I know it's a lot. Yeah. It was more people-oriented, yeah. On both sides, right. On both sides, we weren't really talking about God, just people's experiences, yeah. What else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And modern music is written by more young people and makes you go a little bit crazy. Right, okay, yeah, so we see that one. What other misconceptions have we seen here? Hmm, that's a really important one. Something that's theologically sound can't evoke emotion. Right, and that's really important. And also, I think on the other side, we, we would say that something um, maybe lighter in content evokes emotion. You know, I don't know that that's necessarily true either. I would think that something that's lighter would give you a kind of lighter response in, in like kind. Any other ideas on that first question? You won't offend me, I promise. All right, so how can we communicate well when talking about this touchy subject? Because, I mean, I already, already feel some of the tension in the room. 
you know, and this is very normal. I mean, as soon as we start talking about this, immediately people's guards go up, right? And, and everyone has very strong feelings about this because that's what music does, is it, is it helps us have emotions. So that's just kind of going to go hand in hand. So how can we talk, how can we dialogue with people who might think differently than we do about this issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so bring it back to the Bible, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. Assume the best of people because uh, we, we're all coming from different backgrounds and we're all coming from different understandings and assumptions. And uh, I mean, some people have been taught something that's very different than what you've been taught. And so they might not even realize that there's a difference and that there's a good reason on your side too. You know, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to alienate people. Yeah. Um, another thing is, it's not really something that's really necessary to, to discuss in certain times because it can cause a lot of division and uproar. And there's really no need for that because there's many more important things going on. Yeah, so, so know your context, right? I mean, if, if it doesn't need to be an issue, then, you know, maybe let it lie. Yeah, sometimes it is just a preference. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, right, it needs to always be biblical, yeah. And I think uh, a thing that makes this really hard is that uh, musicians themselves can be kind of sensitive people, and I speak as one. Um, You know, we we tend to really value our art as artists. And so once people start critiquing your art form, you can get really defensive, you know. And so I think it's important that we remember that we're dealing with artists, but also that we're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not people who are against us. These are people who are for us, right? They're with us. So how can we find unity in the body of Christ with so many differences between us? Respecting one another, okay. Yeah. Keep the, yeah, keep the gospel at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we need to keep things in perspective. You know, what, what are the really important hills to die on and what aren't? We can also be very flexible. Okay, um, I'm more accustomed to the upbeat. I prefer to bring in the book. Mm-hmm. They preach the gospel, but the music was just more upbeat. Was it just, again, we had drums, we had guitars, and stuff, tambourines. But when I came here, Yeah. So I realized that there was nothing wrong in adapting to, to my surroundings. Um, we happened to, we went to visiting the other day one church, and I won't mention where it is, but we went visiting, 
and um, group of us from CES, and they were more upbeat. Um, <laughs> so there were people there that didn't like the upbeat. So one person says to me, um, what do you think about that? So I said, well, I enjoy the people. Mm. I said, the pastor, he really thought it was. Yeah, but what did you, it's about the music and they're raising their hands and waving their hands. I said, well, look at it this way. Are they waving their hands against God or for God? Mm. So she said, well, I've never thought about it that way. I said, well, you know, let's look at it. What were they waving their hands? They were waving their hands in praises to God. Because I am accustomed to both, mm. but she's not. So for her, she didn't like it at all. She said, I'm not, I wouldn't want, she didn't want to go back there. Mm. But for me, it was okay, you know, because I'm accustomed to both, and I realized that the way that they worship was not dishonoring God in any way, but that was just how they, they, they worship. They pray, you know, praising mm. God, they adore him in that way. So we just have to be flexible in that yeah, yeah, and I, and I think uh, seeking an understanding of the other is really key. And, and so I've read um, some books that were put out in the 70s and the 60s um, that talk about uh, really the music theory of rock music and, and why rock music uh, does the things that it does to the human body and things like that. And uh, some of it is true and some of it is just pseudoscience honestly, but those are the things that I understand have been put forward as fact, and a lot of people have read that, and, and that's, you know, the background that they're coming from, and so, so it's really important to be able to, to understand where someone's coming from, because, you know, I'm young, I guess, and, um, and so when I grew up, I, I didn't even think about these things, you know, it wasn't really an issue in my mind, because that was the background, you know, the radio was always on, and so, um, so it's really important to seek to understand, you know, wh- what is the perspective that the other person is coming from. But it doesn't also mean 
Gallagher's style of music that we're not judging their motivation. They, they could very well believe that they are worshiping the Lord and are worshiping the Lord. We have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. We have to be very careful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my hands everywhere. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, if we look at the primary purpose and then a secondary purpose, the first thing that uh, Rebecca said is, you know, if we look at the primary purpose of why it is that we do music of whatever style it is in the church, that purpose long-term is worship. If we look at a short-term temporary assignment that we have, we have the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. When Jesus returns, there will no longer be a need for us to do that type of outreach because we know that every knee will bow and we'll no longer need to do that. But during this time where we do need to make that commitment to reach out to others, maybe going down to this, the next question, and something Nick has said before too, you know, if we look at the fact that the message itself shouldn't change, but the method with which we're doing that outreach to reach others does change over time. Um, we had a chance a few years ago to go to uh, Philadelphia to see, you know, for the last 10 plus years, I've listened to Greg Laurie on the radio in the morning, and we went to the Hardest America Crusade uh, in Center City, Philadelphia, and Broad Street. Uh, most of the audience there looked a little bit different than I did. Uh, and when Lecrae, who is a Christian rap artist, came on, quite honestly, the music was so loud that I could feel it in my chest, and we needed to temporarily get up and go get ice cream during that time. But that was me, and quite honestly, when we talk about, the, the, I guess, the message that he's giving as part of that, the, the method was very different from something that I would have been comfortable with. It wasn't mm-hmm. musical, a musical style that I liked. And, you know, quite honestly, Greg Laurie's in his 60s, a grandfather, I don't know if he has that type of rap on his iPod either, but you know he was willing to bring in someone like that uh, to reach out to that audience, and most of the younger people in that center city audience connected with that music in a way that they might not connect with him. So to go back to that point, here we have a consistency of message, but the method with which they were using that musical style to reach out to them was quite different from something I was completely yeah, okay, just one more, and then we got to move on. On that point, culture has always affected church music. 200 years ago, the music they were writing was affected by their English culture and that music mm-hmm. of the time. We might sing it today, but it was affected. So if you go to China, their music is affected by the culture. The church in Africa is going to sing music affected by the culture. So, like, I think we're afraid to say that, but all church music of any age is always affected by your culture. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe we're singing a hymn that was from 200 years ago, but it was still affected by the culture then, and it's not more godly than, than our culture. You know, like, it's always been a simple culture, hmm. but, but culture is not simple. It's God, how God has made us to relate to music, art, all that. It's not necessarily sinful in and of itself. Yeah. It's always affected by culture. Yeah, and I think it is important, you know, to kind of zoom out and get a, a good perspective, take a missions trip foreignly, you know, go see something brand new. Um, I dare you to go on YouTube and look up Chinese opera, the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but that's their culture, and that's their music, and they understand and enjoy it, and it's nonsense to me, you know, but to them, like, that is the height of their music. So, uh, really good points. We've we gotta, we gotta move on, because, you know, we only have 20 minutes left for everything else. So, um, so tonight we're talking about uh, building up the body, and we're going to use this metaphor of um, building uh, a building or building a wall, is, which is really funny now that I wrote this ago, so it wasn't quite as culturally relevant then. Um, <laughs> building a wall, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I want us to consider, you, even for the non-musicians here, um, we're all an important part of the church. God has selected each one of us to be a part of the universal church, and more importantly, uh, even this local church. He's placed us all here. And so you're an important part of this, and so you play a really important role in encouraging one another. And so no one is expendable, if, if you catch my drift. And we're all uh, important to this, to this mission. So the big idea is uh, I built a wall as a child. Uh, my grandpa and I, there's a picture of us, um, we built a little entryway to, this is uh, actually a, a screenshot of a book that I wrote. It was a poem for my grandpa, so that's what the words are up in the corner there. Um, so we, we built this little entryway to our basement, and my grandpa is, is really good with construction and things like that, and so he understands how this all works, and it was all brand new to me, as you can say, I was really young, and uh, I, I was fascinated by, by all the things that went into this wall, because when I would look at a wall like this, I didn't realize all that was inside of it. It was just, you know, I just thought all the, the bricks were there, but I didn't realize that, you know, there was rebar going through, and there's mortar, and there's cement poured inside. All these things are happening and so um, it, was, it was really cool to, to see how this wall was put together. And so we're going to kind of use that metaphor of building a wall uh, and talk about how God is building his church with us. And so I want us to think about ourselves as a brick. We are a brick in this wall called the church. And the important thing to remember about those, uh, those bricks and what makes a good brick yeah, oh, sorry, um, this is just a quick... So we're going to talk about blocks, mortar, and rebar. Got to get to my main point here. Here we go. So what makes a good brick? Well, first of all, there's a cornerstone, right, in, in uh, any construction sort of thing. And so you put the cornerstone down first, and all of the other bricks need to be aligned to this cornerstone. And if they get off a little bit, then the whole structure is compromised. And in the same way, Christ is our cornerstone, and we are told this, and so he has been laid down as our foundation. And so our lives are supposed to be aligned with his. And if we're all aligned with his, we'll be aligned with each other. And together, we can form something that's strong enough to accomplish this mission that he's given us, to go and make disciples. And so we want to make sure that, first of all, we are aligned with Christ. But secondly, we also want to make sure that we are like Christ. Because if you have one brick that's this size and the next one that's this size, and the next one that's that size, and you try to stick them all together, they might be in a row, but if they're all a bunch of different sort of, like, that's not going to hold up very well, is it? It's going to fall over. If you have one that's too tall or one that's too short, uh, you know, that's not how you build a sound structure. And so we need to examine our lives and see, okay, so what is it about myself that is a protrusion? What do I have in my life that I shouldn't have in my life when I compare it to Christ's? You know, what, what do I, I see that I could cut off and so that I could be more like Christ. Or maybe we have, uh, you know, a crevice in our brick. We see, you know, I'm lacking something. I don't have something that Christ has, and, uh, and he's offering this to me, and so I need to work at um, gaining this thing. And so that's how we, we need to assess our lives to see how are we lining up with Christ. And so not only aligning ourselves with his mission and his focus, but also his character and making sure that we are like Christ. And we get these ideas uh, from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
And so we're looking at Christ. We're examining what his life is, and how do we do that? Well, we do that by reading his word and finding out, you know, what is it that he is saying to us. And so as we read his word, find out who Christ is and what he's like, we are asking that the Spirit would transform our lives to be like his. And so that's the first step in really building a healthy church. And, and we even have mentors who can help us do this. And we can look to others who are godly as, and, as their example. And 1 Corinthians ten thirty one says, So whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ, is what Paul tells us. And so, even as we examine the life of uh, an apostle or a mentor in our life, and we see, you know, what, what is it about me that I could change and ask God to work on so I can be more like Christ? And the next part of the wall was the mortar. We, you know, we're sticking all this cement in between each of the blocks. And I like to think about as a gospel love, and that gospel love holds us together, and it also keeps us aligned with one another, right? But also, the thing that really surprised me, because I'd never seen construction before, you know, is that not only did we put all this mortar between all the blocks, but then we poured it inside of each one of them. And so I, I thought that was just so fascinating, because I just assumed it was hollow all the time. I'd never seen this, you know. And so, in the same way, the gospel not only uh, cushions our interactions with one another, but the gospel is supposed to be filling us. And as I noticed, as we're you know, pouring it down the, the holes in, in the blocks, it, was, it wasn't just filling up that brick, it was going through that one and down to the rest of them, right? And so, in the same way, we're supposed to be spilling out this gospel love for one another. And uh, we read in Colossians, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above and not things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also shall appear with him in glory. And later on in that passage, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so even we see in this, um, this is one of the, the worship pastor passages we like to go to because it tells us what we're supposed to be singing, which is really helpful. Um, but, but it's all because of love. We're supposed to be putting on love, and it's so easy for us as musicians and as people who participate in worship, to not have love when we're coming to that command to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But we have to remember that, you know, Paul is telling them that this uh, singing together is an outgrowth of the love that we have for one another. And so we, we should be eager to participate in corporate worship together. Um, 
I said here in, in, uh, in the text, I said, I pray that we come to Sunday morning, drive the gospel because we've emptied ourselves of it on a lost soul the night before. And, and I really, I do hope that, and I, and I pray that that happens in my life, and it's hard because I live in the BBC bubble, and I don't get out very much. Um, but, you know, we should be pouring the gospel into other people's lives so that when we come here on Sunday morning, we're eager to hear it again, and we're eager to be filled back up with that gospel love. So we should not only be held together by the gospel, and you know, that passage talked about it, it binding us together, but we should be filled with the gospel as well. So what's the rebar? Because So we, we had the blocks, and we put the cement in between the blocks, and then we poured the cement, but then we also stuck all these iron rods in it, and so I'm asking my grandpa all these questions, because you know, I was like eight, it was really exciting. And um, so we said, you know, that's so the, the, the walls don't fall in. Those steel bars are going to go up through what the horizontal lines are, and it's going to hold it together. And so just like that, the Holy Spirit fills each of us, but he also binds us together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7 says, I therefore, prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is in each of us, and he is binding us together. And this also gives us strength to carry out the mission, because if, if the mission is to make disciples, to see people come to Christ, and then we grow them in Christ, um, we don't have the capacity to do that on our own. And so we, we can't just expect to hear the gospel and to share the gospel without the Holy Spirit being a part of that. And so we have to continue to rely on him. And even when we sing and worship God, that's only possible because the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and is worshiping through us. Ephesians 3 also reminds us, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so we see, as, as Paul's even just talking about the fact that the Spirit is in him and that the Spirit gives him strength, he's just overflowing with praise. And he, he almost like, can't help himself but, but just be grateful to God and to give honor and glory to him. And so in the same way, when we are truly uh, filled with the Spirit and when we are allowing him to work through us, that praise will be an outflow of that. So we want spirit-filled worship. We don't wor- want worship that we think that we can accomplish on our own. So we don't want to come to Sunday morning with this attitude of, well, I'm here and I'm going to sing and I'm going to encourage the people around me with my voice and I'm going to work really hard to hit all those notes right. 
you know, that, that's ridiculous. You, you know, we're, we're not that great. <laughs> you know, we're just people. So we need to come and say, you know, I might have had a rough week. I might have had a great week, but I can't really do this alone. And so I'm going to ask the Spirit to help me to sing and to help me to encourage the people around me and to strengthen me to do that. So how are we supposed to build one another up? This is a discussion question. So we know that we are supposed to be aligned with Christ, like Christ, filled with the gospel, interacting with one another, forgiving one another in kindness and meekness because of the gospel. And we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit and He binds us together. So how do we take all of those things and actually create a a healthy church and build one another up and encourage one another? What does that look like? Prayer. Prayer. up of oneself, yeah. Yeah, we have to get to know each other. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to love someone that you, that you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else should we do? Yeah, mourn with those who are mourning, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Yeah, yeah, don't have this pretense of, yeah, no, we don't, yeah, we don't have it all together. Encourage one another, yeah. What else can we do? Yeah, yeah. Um, The writer of Hebrews says this, Take care, brothers, lest any of you, um, sorry, lest there be any evil. Oh my goodness, I'm going to try this again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so one way that we can encourage one another and we can be honest when we, when we see someone struggling in sin and we can uh, you know, encourage them to, to not harden their heart to the Spirit and encourage them to be right with God. And so that's, uh, that's a really important part of building one another up. So that was a whirlwind through that analogy of um, remembering that, you know, we are to, to look to that cornerstone and to align ourselves with what is, what is Christ focused on, what does Christ um, care about, and then how is his character, what is he like, and how can I ask God to, to create that kind of heart in me? And then that we would pray that the gospel would inform our interactions that we could forgive one another and that we could treat one another like brothers and sisters and that we would also be filled with that gospel and be pouring out as we interact with others and that the Spirit would be holding us together and empowering us to do this thing we call the church. 
Um, so just four quick questions. Uh, what responsibility does this give you in congregational singing? Yeah, to be here. Yeah, because we can't really participate in congregational singing from home, right? Yeah, yeah, just sing. Don't just sing it and not mean it with your heart. Make sure to have the right attitude and heart about it. Right, yeah. He said, make sure, you know, don't, don't just sing it, but sing it with the right heart and the right attitude. And sometimes it's difficult to do that, right? Sometimes we come to Sunday morning and we're not really feeling it. Um, so what do we do? Well, we remember that we're filled with the gospel and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, we are becoming transformed into the image of Christ. And so, yeah, we might not have the strength to do it this morning, but we can ask the Spirit to empower us to do what he's commanded us to do in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like familiarity uh, breeds contempt, but it can also just bring uh, laziness. That, you know, oh, I know this one, you know, and so you just kind of plug in and zone out and go on autopilot, you know, but like really pay attention. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, that Babylon B article we looked at at the beginning said, you know, singing is so emotionless when we sing hymns. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, huge, huge ideas being presented there, and there's, uh, there's plenty of emotions, I think. Um, you know, but we have to be willing to really engage with that text and think about what they're saying. Something that I try to do, I don't do it all the time, but when, when I'm singing a song, like this morning, Rock of Ages, there's, I'm, look, I'm looking for a, a lyric that really points my heart to Christ. Hmm. You know, I'm, the song lyric that said, um, Thou must save and thou alone. Yeah. So let's go to the second question. How can singing help us become more like Christ, the cornerstone? It, it really is hard 
Yeah, and, and I think it's really cool when we see those passages where Jesus sings at the Last Supper. You know, he, they concluded with singing a hymn, um, which is exciting. And so, yeah, if, if we want to really be like Christ, and, and if we want to sing, we have to align ourselves with, with his, uh, his thoughts and his focuses to sing well. Yeah. 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 So have uh, see, you know, who is Christ? What has he done in a song that can help us? Did you have a? Well, just for the musicians among us who uh, are not the best singers, we can take comfort, I guess, in the fact that you know, Christ, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, how many times did he say, let this cup pass from my lips? He didn't want to go. He didn't want to go, but he went anyway, so if we want to become more like Christ, for those of us who don't always feel like we want to sing and are not the best singers, we can imitate him by uh, being <laughs> faithful and going in. Hmm. So, yeah. so how, can we let the, how can we let gospel love inform our interactions with one another? What does that really look like? I said that a lot, but what does it really look like? Um, so, you know, just, I mean, even in the office, seeing one another, or, you know, if uh, you see somebody in church and you talk with them, or maybe even if somebody offends you in church, or, if, you know, somebody in the body does something you don't like, how, how do we let the gospel inform those interactions? Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we should 
So how do we, come back to the, the question, how do we interact with one another in a way that demonstrates the gospel? Yeah, so, I mean, treat each other like family, right? Because we are in the body of Christ. And also, I think the passage that we read about this is really important, forgiving one another and showing kindness and humility to one another because we're bound to offend one another. We're bound to step on each other's toes. You know, we're living in close proximity to one another, and we're growing together. And so anytime that people are, are working together to become more like Christ, we're going to start revealing one another's sins. And that can be a really tense moment, but you know, don't be afraid of that tension. That, that's, that's good. That's showing you, you know, this is an area in your life that you need to work on. And so be eager to forgive and to, to help your brother and sister through that. Yeah. the final question here, how can we rely more on the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Sorry. Hmm. 
And I would say also on the flip side is that the same spirits inspiring songs that, you know, authors are writing today, which is, you know, exciting. And so not inspiring in the way that Scripture is inspired, of course, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you had a thought. You're good. Okay. With this question, I was thinking, um, there's some songs maybe that, um, that are in our hymnal that are older, and I thought, I hope no one's offended. But as I sing that song, I think to myself, wow, can we really update that? I don't really enjoy singing that song. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You'd be here for five hours, right? Until everyone got their favorite song sung, but hmm. it, it takes humility from all of us. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that uh, this has stirred up your minds to ask a lot of questions. I know we didn't provide a ton of answers, but um, there's still quite a few more weeks. Um, and so, just kind of looking forward, next week we're going to be talking about uh, kind of evangelism, becoming more like Christ in order to share Him. We're going to talk about the week after that, Scripture informing uh, what we're doing with music. And then the week after that, we're actually going to start addressing this subject of style and how do we choose music that allows our congregations to sing. Um, and so, so, this was just like a little brief, you know, get your minds thinking about you know, how does that work and how can we um, be building one another up? Because that, I want that to be our focus, is how do we encourage one another and not tear one another down?